Hi folks, thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. The Tortoise Shack, as you probably know at this stage, has no ads, no sponsors, and relies entirely on you, dear listeners, to keep this show on the road. So if you're one of the thousands of people who listen, click on the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack and see if there's a level that suits your budget to help us keep the show on the road. Uh, And it's not a one-way street. There's tons of extra content, including this week alone, my conversation with actor Jerry O'Brien. You might remember him as Martin Cahill in uh, Veronica Guerin and other roles in Pirates of the Caribbean and uh, Reign of Fire but when we touch on that the subject matter is a lot more important than just his back catalogue. Nuruddin Chowdhury joined me to talk about his new book Inshallah United and it's already one of my favourite podcasts of 2023 uh, and there is a conversation we had with housing lecturer Dr Lorcan Sur about the missing houses of this CSO data uh, and it's a really really fascinating insight yet again from Lorcan. We often say what measures gets done and if we're not measuring it correctly how the hell are we supposed to know what gaps we have? Anyway, all of those are there right now on the Patreon feed for less than the price of a fancy cup of coffee nowadays. All you got to do is join and try it for a month. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and Martin, uh, it's good to be back talking about events that are beyond our borders. We, we've always had a global perspective on the Taurus Shack. We've always spoken to people across the globe, but... Sometimes I just do it just to make sure that you can get your head out of Ashburn, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. thanks, Tony. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, we do. And, and it's nice to come back to our guest today. It is really yeah. nice to come yeah, back. Yeah, we're, we're delighted to be rejoined for the first time in 2023 by journalist Nicholas Dale-Leal. You can read Nicholas in El País, and and, uh, and he covers quite a lot in terms of Latin America and South America. So uh, Nicholas, listeners will be aware of us. Gave us great insights as we were in the run-up to the Colombian election. We spoke about events in Brazil, and we've now seen, Nicholas, uh, tumultuous events now in Peru. So it's 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 always, it's terrible to say, but it's, you know, you've got plenty to talk about, Nicholas. Not necessarily the most pleasant of topics sometimes. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's nice to be here despite the, the, the topic, but uh, I hope I can can help clear it out because to be honest it is very very complicated uh the peru situation well tell us what nicholas will you do a little kind of synopsis or a short run-in explain to us what's it uh, i am thick so explain to me as if i'm thick what's happening in peru yeah sure um i mean there's there's sort of two ways of of looking at it um uh, or two lenses no one uh that we can look at first, which is the first, the last eight weeks, uh, and what sort of has gone on uh, in that period of time. But that also obviously feeds off something that's been happening in Peru over the last uh, maybe four, five, six years. But I'll start with the with the last two months because really it all sort of kicked off on the sixth of December, um, when the the current president at the time. Pedro Castillo uh, basically attempted a, a self-coup that really backfired terribly. Uh, on that day, he was going to face uh, a third uh, vote of no confidence in Congress within the space of like two months. The previous two had failed because there wasn't enough votes uh, to kick him out. And this third one was seemingly going to fail again. But out of the blue, without honestly anyone expecting it a few hours before the vote happened 
he went uh, on TV and he read this statement uh, where he said he dissolved Congress. He called a, a state of emergency and he was going to, you know, take uh, executive power and write a new constitution. His the, the whole thing lasted maybe two or three hours. Uh, by that time, he was uh, arrested in a police station in, in Lima. Everyone had abandoned him, like all his political support had abandoned him, even his like personal guard, uh, who were supposed to take him to the Mexican embassy uh, to ask for asylum because his head was being uh, asked for. He was literally, uh, he was literally in, 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 tr in his life was in jeopardy at this stage. Yeah, or at least his liberty, let's say. Uh, and, and, Halfway uh, on his way to the Mexican embassy in Lima, uh, his personal guard yeah, turned his back on him and, and turned him in to a police station. And, and within an hour of that, uh, his vice president, Dina Boluarte, uh, became Peru's first uh, female president. And, and really from there, it sort of escalated and snowballed to the situation where we are now. Uh, within a few days after that, Protests started happening in the south of Peru. Uh, at the beginning, they were peaceful protests, and they've sort of just been escalating and escalating uh, until mostly in the in the south of Peru. There were demonstrations in Lima, but smaller and led more by students. Uh, but then on the 9th of January, in the city of Juliaca, which is in the in the south of the country. Um, which I'll get to that sort of division of the country in a minute, which is very important in mm -hmm. this whole context. Back to the two uh, lenses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, 18 people were killed by the by the police uh, in a brutal repression. One single day, 18 people. Uh, and that was really a catalyst for an es extra escalation of protests. And the 19th yeah, of sorry, January... Sorry, Nicholas, can I just clarify? Who's protesting what? Of course, sorry. Uh, so the protests uh, are basically right now asking for Dina Boluarte to uh, stand down and for elections to be um, to be called ASAP, really, uh, because when she took power on that sixth of December. She vowed to continue the mandate until 2026 and to keep going as if nothing had happened. And that really, really uh, pissed off, you know, the, all the voters that elected Pedro Castillo, which were mainly from the south uh, in, a, in a really unprecedented uh, win for, for Pedro Castillo in that time. He's a, a, a union leader from the countryside in Peru. He had no real political background. There's a school teacher uh, with, you know, cows and, and goats. This is what he was, a, a herder. And suddenly he got thrown into the political limelight and got elected president. Uh, but his, his image uh, resonated for the first time for uh, half of the country who had never seen themselves uh, represented in power. So when uh, this self-coup happens, this part of the country interprets it as not a self-coup, but rather an orchestrated coup to get him out. Mm -hmm. um, 
they they have the argument that on that day when he was reading this statement uh he was very nervous and and they they this this whole uh, contingent of the population hold uh that he was forced to do that um there's no proof for that but they are absolutely convinced by the way he delivered that speech by the way he was shaking and his voice was slightly broken and just the way his whole demeanor was on on that day it well it certainly like... I, I i i'm no keen observer of but I've, I've i've done a little bit he certainly didn't seem like someone who wanted to be making that speech if that makes sense no i i to to keep my my distance from from yeah. uh, speculating exactly yeah. uh i i wouldn't say that that there's obviously any proof but it was strange. It was extremely strange the way things went down at that time and the timing and of, of everything uh, was very strange. So, uh, Martin, that that's basically what people are, are protesting about. And and it has gone on and on uh, because Congress just seems to be playing with with the people. So day after day, they say, oh, we're going to debate uh, bringing forward the elections. They brought them forward from 2026 to 2024, as if that was going to appease the situation. It hasn't. And then they've, I think they voted 10 times or 12 uh, to uh, bring forward elections for this year, at least at the end of 2023. And each time the, the motion fails, there's not enough votes. And it's just like a, a an endless loop it seems at the moment and at the, and at the time and at the same time protests really don't stop uh the the uh, uh, confrontation escalates and the repression as well and also the stigmatization of the protesters they're being called terrorists they're being called uh well they're being said that they're financed by the remnants of Sendero Luminoso, which is the uh, guerrilla group from Peru in the 80s that that were uh, uh, that did use terrorism uh, as a means. They also say that uh, Evo Morales in Bolivia is financing them okay. and sending them weapons through the. So there's this whole conspiracy thing even coming from. So we, uh, we've, we've a conspiracy on one side around a speech and we've a conspiracy on the other side around the actual motivations. Uh, and I got to be completely honest, what we often find sometimes there's it's not that there's truth to them. There's the rumor starts because there's something there where there are links to people and there are links to organizations, but they're not conspiracies. It's just. You know, if you were like we have, we see this in Irish politics all the time, where there are people who had links to other organizations decades ago before our peace process, and they're now involved in in our politics. You know, uh, we have to you have to accept that that that's a part of life. Actually, I'm struck by the the similarities in the narratives, Tony. It's there is a lot of similarity in the narratives. Yeah, that that does tend to happen, and and it is it is striking. I mean, uh, in my own more familiar context of Colombia, obviously I see these similarities. Uh, in in Peru, um, the, this sort of polarization is is just really, really, really strong. But can, uh, Nick, Nicholas, we've mentioned polarization a few times, but I think listeners might benefit from knowing. So you've said that effectively the guy who won the contest kind of represented, you said that the different regions and how they are, is those differences be they class, be they race, be they ideological? How do people sort of define those more so in Peru? Because we know clearly 
say, for example, when we saw Petro come in, that it was clearly the first time someone on the left was going to to do this. How did they feel about this in Peru? In Peru, uh, it's more race. Uh, the the identity uh, is defined geographically, but that is correlated with race. So uh, the north of Peru, where Lima is, is more uh, well white or mixed race, uh, and the south is really very indigenous. Uh, there's various uh, different um, groups or, or nations uh, that that make up like ninety percent of the population in the south. Uh, you know, they they have a lineage to the Incas. No, uh, even uh, the languages. Uh, are the same ones from pre-Columbian times and the cultures at the same time, although obviously they've evolved, uh, are very different from that to a more cosmopolitan north of the country. Um, and that has been the case since, since the beginning of the country, 200 years ago, essentially. That division has remained in place uh, and that then uh, brings about uh, economic differences and development uh, differences. So the north is, you know, uh, has I don't know the vast majority of the. You, uh, you, you, you've 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 already broken down by saying one one is cosmopolitan and one reviews them maybe more more rural in 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 many aspects and and it's just it's kind of disheartening and then we have to put that in context realistically of also natural disasters taking place of floods that are, are that are happening in peru in in the meantime and people are continuing to protest because you know again i'm not asking you to speculate but obviously we would like at least it to be a democratic process whereby if this is not going to happen let's have free and fair elections but now they're using this state of emergency to extend the already stated state of emergency and it leaves people even angrier how what's the are you are you is there is there a feeling that that this is you know that it that that they're hiding behind these tragic events with the floods that we've seen mm, not particularly i mean uh because they are uh there is sort of parliamentary uh, activity going on um as I said, they, they are debating and voting to bring forward elections, uh, but it just seems like an act, really, and, and it is being interpreted as an act, no? To seem like they are doing things, uh, but if every every afternoon the vote fails and the, the elections don't come forward, uh, then people are just getting more and more exacerbated with the situation. Uh, that being said, Elections won't solve the situation, and, and to be honest, I would it be fair to say that at the and again, not speculating, dealing in reality, would it be fair to say that at the moment there is nobody in Congress with a mandate to be there? That's correct. They they have an approval rating. Congress has an approval rating of eight percent at the moment. Uh, it is truly baffling uh, how they how they have the nerve to go there every day and continue sort of playing with with uh, the Peruvian people. But uh, as I said, the elections will hardly uh, solve that because if uh, Congress currently has an 8% approval rating, uh, if there were to be elections called, 70% of Peruvians say they won't, they wouldn't vote for any of any political party or any movement or anything. So there is a big leadership crisis in Peru as well uh and that's 
really makes it very difficult to articulate uh, politically all of the this discontent uh, that's on the street. Uh, the causes of this this sort of crisis of leadership is harder to 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 say, uh, but it, it goes back to may to four or five years ago. Uh, I mean, in the end, Peru has had six presidents in four years, which is is really unprecedented. One lasted five days, uh, and and now Dina Boluarte is two months in, and she seems to be holding on. But one would think, looking from the outside, that that the situation can't hold. Uh, and really, I I don't see just by um, seeing how the the protesters. Uh, from the south of of the country uh, are talking about this. It doesn't seem like they they're going to give up anytime soon. So uh, uh, it seems like it's on a, either going to stretch out over time uh, or keep escalating. But I think and, the inevitable thing is that it it will burst at and, some point. And about their neighbors, because obviously you know that's the that's also something that 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 actually comes into play. Uh, you know, we, we we've looked at we looked at 2022. We looked at through the the prism of hope in in Latin and, and South America in terms of some of the changes that we've seen take place politically and some of the moves from different directions. How how is Peru sort of situated in 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 that context? If if you don't mind, like, is are people around their their neighbors, their 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 geographic neighbors? Are they worried that this is pro- going to create problems that might create some sort of crisis in the in the wider region to be honest not too much um peru has over many years had its own political context uh, whereas the rest of the continent did seem to to have some sort of synergies or or uh, waves that were similar peru has uh, always been slightly different slightly more conservative at uh, the beginning of this uh, century, which is sort of the, the main sort of that pink wave of, of leftist governments in in um, Latin America. Peru didn't wasn't a part of that. Uh, and now a sort of similar thing happens, but it also in the sense that Peru is its own sort of political ecosystem. Uh, and from the outside, no one wants to get involved. You know, they wouldn't touch touch Peru with a barge pole. Uh, although a few presidents have gone out to defend uh, Pedro Castillo and attack uh, Dina Boluarte, uh, among them uh, Gustavo Petro from Colombia or uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador from Mexico. Uh, but, for example, near uh, closer neighbors like Chile or Bolivia, or Brazil have remained uh, quite silent. Obviously, they're calling for nonviolence and a and a peaceful resolution to this whole situation because at the moment uh, there have been 56, 58 people who have been killed in the protests, which is not a, a small number by any means, uh, and that seems to likely to to continue to rise. Um, but but no, I don't think there's a sense that that Peru could destabilize the region in, this, in many ways. Given that, and given that you know most people are kind of laissez-faire in the political world about about uh, Peru, 
Is there outside influence? I mean, we see this in other countries that there is always uh, some outside influence. Is Peru insulated from that? Well, it's it's hard to to say. I mean, there's obviously economic influence, um, and that's that's important. No, um, in in for example, the the whole economic design of Peru, which is based on that division where the south uh, is a uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, raw material producing uh, area, you know, mining and oil, and the north. Uh, is more services and well you know the story mm-hmm. uh so so that would be as much as i would say where there's sort of a external influence you obviously can't uh say that that the the states don't have a hand in yeah. or don't have an interest <laughs> in <laughs> the situation but uh well we've seen it's, i i have read i I've read editorials i read editorials from us newspapers and they clearly do have an interest in 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 some of it like in the editorials will will kind of teach that but there's also i mean i again i mentioned that uh, before we came on air is talking to um economist konstin gordiev who's uh, an economist in colorado and he was talking about you know Joe Biden going to Mexico for a summit to talk at this and some of the stuff that came from that, how he spoke about rebuilding these links and these ties. And yet his trade delegation kind of said, uh, you know, no, you can't let's you, you're not really going to have any of this autonomy. It's not going to be a meeting of equals. It will be purely, you know, if we want to send you chlorinated chicken, you take chlorinated chicken. Uh, I, and now we see in the region, people are saying we don't actually think we need that deal anymore am i am i am i just am i off am i off uh, on a tangent here but do you think that the, that the united states has just seen that its influence is not as great in like when they go to talk to people in mexico brazil or colombia now yeah i mean uh, i think the the just various the, the various leaders that are in basically their main uh, uh, partners economic and as an extension, political partners in the region, which are Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil, being some of the major economies in the region. Uh, all of these countries now have leaders that aren't so willing to just bend the knee uh, and might be hoping to get better deals to 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 sort of talk face to face to the to the US when that and maybe in that sense but uh and i think the US has also um especially with this administration taken that into consideration uh and tried to to be a little bit more lenient within their own standards evidently uh but it is it is uh uh true that for example as a as as the main partner, uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador, kind of the Mexican president, uh, you know, walks that that line uh, where he's tough and talks very tough, but at the same time, uh, he can be um, like uh, be essentially blackmailed by the by the states uh, by saying, "Well, we'll stop buying X, Y, or Z." And you're screwed. So you have to, you know, control immigration. For example, that's the the main sort. Yeah, the the main uh, thing, thing that they keep bashing is the is the trouble at at, at the Mexican border, and and they use that as a, as as leverage. And it's 
you know, and it's funny and it's funny in a dark way because we always, you know, we know the previous administration, Trump weaponized it with this, you know, the idea of it. But the Biden administration hasn't really changed the policy as much. It's maybe changed the language. It's softened its language. It's softened its um, its out statements. But the policies themselves haven't really changed much, Nicholas. No, that that does tend to happen within that sort of Republican Democrat uh, transition, uh, or um, in the in the American government, where really what changes, as you said, is the language, but the policy and the reality on the ground uh, remains the same. Sometimes even the Democrats, uh, because they use a different language, to me seems a, a little bit more cynical, even than the Rep- than the Republicans, you know, because they they uh you know are... sometimes it's sometimes it's better to get the guy who 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 tells you exactly yeah, yeah, the honest truth yeah, yeah. The, the, so yeah. It's, like, it's like it's like martin calling you a bollocks and me saying ah you're all right you yeah. <laughs> can, can i ask a question nicholas it seems very much from the description you've given us that either prue is teetering on or has taken the first step towards some sort of civil war is that the case um i mean i i wouldn't want to to go that far there is the possibility that that could happen uh the the south is highly organized uh these the since they are indigenous groups they have their own systems of organization and that has come to light in the way they have uh gone about the protests where in a highly organized fashion, they have uh, blocked roads, taken over airports, bus terminals, uh, etc. That fuels the right, the rights narrative uh, to say that these are terrorists because look how organized they are. Uh, the the these indigenous groups are assure, uh, and I am sure that they are not <laughs> terrorist groups. They're just organized groups. Uh, so that there is a, that possibility, but I think it's unlikely because I don't think there is uh, a military organization uh, uh, in any of those instances, despite uh, the those flames being fanned. Uh, I I don't think that that would happen, uh, like a full blown uh, civil war. But but it isn't outrageous to suggest it either. Yeah, that's it's it's deeply concerning when you look at it in terms of, again, a lot of this, as you said, I know we we you talked about people coming from different regions and their their ethnicities and their identities, but we also know that a lot of it is driven by inequalities and and uh, and and the lack of um, social mobility, and we only have to you mentioned Mexico. I mean. I think is there one guy in Mexico who has more money than than the bottom like eighty percent of the entire country? Like you know, um, there is there's huge inequalities. Just if we can just take it broader, then for before we wrap, before we we we, we finish up, the actual the 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 continent itself, um, there things seem febrile because you know like right when you when you look at. 
Lula coming in and then the attempt to overthrow him, those people haven't gone away. They haven't just because they failed. They haven't stopped. And then we 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 see, you know, there's discussions between um, Brazil and Argentina. And I believe Colombia, you may correct me in, in terms of maybe a, a, a currency that they can they have a joint currency that will mean that they can wean themselves off the dollar, the de-dollarication that I was talking about last week. All of this stuff. It does. It does. And again, also, actually, they want to start tackling multinational companies that have been extracting profits from the region for, for decades now. And it seems to be that there's a joint up thinking between some of the countries now saying if we all do it now, we can all actually bring in more taxes. It strikes me that, first of all, countries like America and the EU won't like that because these corporations tend to be domiciled in you know, some of them are probably domiciled in Dublin, a couple of kilometers from where I'm sitting, Nicholas. They won't like that. So it could be. Well, well, I'm positive about the the the, the direction. Am I am I right to be worried about the possibility of of unrest about it? I think all of those plans, um, although they have been stated and and you know uh, talked about. Are going to be extremely, extremely hard to to realize, even to come close to um, the the joint currency, for example, between uh, mainly Brazil and Argentina, that would sort of facilitate trade between them because it would allow them to 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 trade in their own currency and not in dollars as they do now, uh, is very difficult just from a from a really technical aspect no uh on that one one sense and on a political aspect on the other so uh, for example obviously for that to happen there needs to be sort of political stability and consensus in both countries and uh i think argentina is probably one of the 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 last countries i can i would think of if i had to come up with a list of countries with political stability and consensus so i really think it, that's going to be very hard to happen all of these countries have internal uh problems just in 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 the political scene to get anything through uh congress or parliament um so so to be honest i i think that is it very sounds... difficult to happen uh lula has other priorities that being said obviously he uh he's been in power for a month or a little bit more and and he wants to bring brazil back to the world stage he wants to lead latin america uh and as we talked about back when we talked about the brazilian elections if it, it did all uh was uh, all of these things regionally we're hanging in the balance because it, nothing can happen if nothing at that scale can happen if brazil isn't on board so in that sense since lula's there i wouldn't obviously close the door completely on that but he's a he's a pragmatist and it, and if he thinks something is going to be too difficult to 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 do or it's going to annoy too many powerful uh people then he's probably going to back can I ask one? Sorry, sorry. I want to ask one simple question, and you can feel free to ignore me. But it's just something that strikes me, because obviously, you know, we we cover events in Ukraine uh, quite a bit, and the Irish media is awash with it every day. What's going on? But there's also, 
you know, we actually, and it's just in economic terms, I don't know if you're aware of this, Martin, but the, the, the forecast for next year is that the Russian economy will grow faster than the UK economy. Okay, so the sanctions have not worked. And not only have the sanctions not worked, is that the wake-up call has been to the EU and other countries that the, what we sort of derogatorily t- call the non-aligned countries, they're bigger. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Oh, um, yeah, 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 but this... but but my point being, going to particularly Latin America and South America, Lula, he does not agree with uh, the sort of Western view of, of, of NATO and the conflict in... in, in in Ukraine as well, uh, it, there is definitely a difference of of opinion in terms of Western aggression. I mean, I think he has a lot of, he makes a lot of valid points. I also think we're, you know, Putin should never have invaded Ukraine. But nonetheless, you, th- there is that difference there that 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 where and we don't really talk about it much, particularly not in Europe. We don't like to think that other people think differently than us. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, since since that's shaken up everything and trade everywhere and prices of everything it does touch on on uh, the economy here heavily i mean inflation has has risen sharply in the last year obviously as a result of that in europe uh, but also over here um and in that sense there yeah, there is an opinion but i i think uh, the 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 sense is slightly more from a pacifist maybe point of view of because this is a um one of the um points of various of these uh leaders no petro being the main one peace yeah. is his main uh uh narrative and lula and uh amlo have all suggested you know let's let's have a negotiated peace let's have some nego- some uh dialogue etc uh but obviously that has been sort of uh, dismissed by the protagonists. So I think it's going to be difficult for uh, these countries to have really any say on that. Brazil, again, just because of the size, might be able to push a little bit more in that direction. Uh, so so perhaps we can see Lula in the future uh, trying to broker some kind of at least some kind of talks, you know, maybe results will be harder to come by, but at least maybe him apparently uh, with China as well, trying to mediate some kind of negotiated uh, end to, to, to the conflict. But as I said, with, with Ukraine very much not having that uh, possibility of, of, dialogue nato not really interested in in talking with putin and obviously putin not very interested talking with the west at all so uh despite that sort of call coming from the region uh those voices i think will mainly fall on on deaf ears Nicholas, thank you so much for coming on and explaining the situation in peru and i know you cover a whole continent and I know you do. And, you know, journalists here think it's hard to cover a whole county. You're covering a whole continent. So we really do appreciate you taking this time out to have the conversation with us. And as always, it's informative and we've learned something. So thank you very much indeed. No, thank you. I mean, it was a tough task today, but I hope uh, it worked out well.
It was brilliant, guys. I think we all got a great insight on that. And I will say one thing which was interesting when you, when when you mentioned Lula as a pacifist, and and the, and the, and the danger then of of say Petro as a pacifist and saying putting peace at the core of what they're doing, isn't it interesting? When I read those some of those statements on Western media, they were they were they were misrepresented as uh putin apologists so it shows you it shows you very much when you editorialize what difference it can make look we we'll, we'll be back um during the week we ha- we'll be covering uh the, the the changes in the utility bills why you're all getting back 50 euro because the state have been basically ripping us all off for over no a no not again Tony. <laughs> <laughs> yes again listen we leave it there folks we'll talk to you all very very soon take care bye-bye Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.